0: From the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, I'm Christopher Calloway, your host of Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books, both up-and-coming and and living legends. On this show, my guest is Adam Malenta. He is the co-creator of Punk Taco, co created with his son, Makana, And Punk Taco is a Ringo Award winner for Best Kids Comic or Graphic Novel in 2019. The book is an all-ages graphic novel series about a peace-loving sentient alien taco that rocks out with his band of misfits across the galaxy helping those in need. It blends humor, science fiction, and action to create an exciting adventure series for young and old alike who love inspiring characters and beautiful sequential art. My interview with Adam takes place right after Mother's Day, so I find out from Adam how things are going how he's dealing with being stuck at home during the pandemic, and how Punk Taco broke through to become an award-winning graphic novel. Plus, we talk about Adam's love of hip-hop and the miniseries he published about a world-famous pioneering revolutionary hip-hop band that he actually toured with. We learn more about that when I kick back with the creator and ask the fun questions. I ask all my guests to learn more about them as individuals. This show is available on your podcast platform of choice because you found it and you're here now. So tell others who are into comic books and creators about the show to help grow the audience. And if you have a chance, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That also goes a long way to helping this show. Right now, please join me and my guest, Adam Malenta, the co-creator of Punk Taco, here now on Creator Talks. Adam, welcome to Creative Talks.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: This interview is taking place the day after Mother's Day, just to give people a frame of reference, because those who listen to the show know I record well in advance, and we've all been at home and businesses are slowly starting to open up. But how are you making out of home? What have you learned about yourself and your family (laughs) being home with them? Because I know I've learned a lot. What have you learned?
1: I've been working from home for almost 25 years now, so that that aspect of it is nothing new to me. I, I... Before I was married and had kids, I could stay home and not leave the house for a long time, (laughs) especially when working on a comic book or if I'm really focused on a project. You know, as long as I had food in the house, I was good to go. And I always had the discipline of waking up, you know, doing what I had to do, you know, get ready, breakfast, and then get right to work. You know, a lot of artists, they struggle with having that discipline. That's been always one of my strengths. Um, where I may not have always been the best artist or the best person for the job. I was always disciplined enough to get up, get the job done work hard, meet the deadlines, and so forth and so on. So for that, that's nothing new. The challenging part is now that my family's home 24-7, it doesn't matter how much discipline (laughs) I have. (laughs) uh, I'm getting very little uh, work done on my own personal projects. My wife has a job that is extremely demanding and infinitely more important in in the grand scheme of things than making comics. I give her time to work during the day. And I take care of the kids all day and handle their school and their education and entertainment and everything else. Dinner time comes and family time and bedtime. And then I'm sitting down to work about, you know, 9, 930 at night, finally getting to work my projects. And what I've learned is, and this may not even just have to do with the pandemic. It's just as you get older, you get more tired Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) at 46 years old you know handling kids all day and family time many years ago pulling an all-nighter was not a big deal now if i start work at nine o'clock in the evening i don't last as long as i used to (laughs) (laughs) so that's definitely a, a more challenging aspect of it all it's been great i actually was a teacher for a short time so i understand all the hard work that teachers Go through and, and that they put into, well, you know, helping to raise other people's children. How difficult it is teaching my kids now. It, it's always harder when you have to teach your own kids. You know, when I would go in and into a school and kids would listen to me, whereas you know at home <laughs> they don't always want to be taught by dad or follow my instructions. So that that's a challenging part of of teaching from home and trying to supplement. Uh, whatever they're not getting from the online distance learning. That's been tough. Beyond that, like we, you know, we've had so much great family time watching my two sons Um, this past year. We moved from Connecticut to California and they had tons of friends back home and here they were just starting to make a few friends, but nobody that like they visited or anything like that, no real personal connections. What's interesting to me is seeing them develop their own relationship together and really become friends. And even though they fight a lot, you know, the times when they're playing together, that's a real joy to see, uh, which they probably wouldn't have gotten if they were at school in separate grades and so forth and so on. So that's been fun to watch. You
0: guys all move coast to coast in the past year?
1: Yes. Uh, about eight months ago now. Oh, we moved from wow. from Connecticut to California. Yeah. That slowed down the production on the next volume of Punk Taco as well. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and... <laughs> and that's been, you know, really slowing things down.
0: Well, it's good you moved when you did, not in the middle of the pandemic.
1: Yes. If we would have had to move and drive cross-country when, you know, everything was shutting down, that would have been very difficult. It's been good being in California because they they took it seriously at first, earlier than almost anyone. We felt relatively safe where we are, uh, but we take it very seriously, and we've only left the house for food, and we don't do anything else. We don't risk anything, especially with young ones in the house. We don't want to take any chance of them getting sick.
0: Very prudent. I went out today taking a slight risk. I had to get my (laughs) hair cut because I had a full-on mullet going. I mean, my hair has not been this long since the 80s. (laughs) and (laughs) i went in again
1: you gotta appreciate that you have hair right
0: well (laughs) that is what the stylist said he says you know let's not cut it short you have it you should use it but this thing in the back (laughs) has to go i said oh it doesn't normally look like that i said the last time i had my haircut was thanksgiving (laughs) he's like what i said well i said to the stylist i keep it short on the sides and they buzz it well she did my whole head that way so I just, I, I'm afraid to go back and I won't need it for a month. So that's what happened.
1: Oh, oh, now they did. They just buzzed you the whole the whole thing.
0: That's what happened last time. The whole thing.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And that's not what I wanted. <laughs> so that's why it was about five months or so since I've had my hair cut. Now this move you've made, you've been there now eight months. I've been through the same thing, a big change, East Coast to West Coast. So what do you think? What do you like about it?
1: I like California in general. Where we're living, we're kind of um, in like, super suburbia, I suppose. We're in the East Bay area. Lots of concrete. We went from having like a pretty big grass backyard where I had a huge garden and grass and place for the dog to run to just having a slab of concrete. (laughs) So that's taking some time to get used to. The weather is great. You don't have to worry about snow. I mean, not having grass, I don't have to worry about mowing the lawn. East coast to west coast, a lot of it's the same. The difference is that I kind of joke about and my wife says, oh, you complain about it, but there's little things like there's no good pizza out here <laughs> 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 that I've found, mm-hmm. yes, hopefully. You know, little things like that, like things you just used to because, you know, I'm from the East Coast, I'm from Connecticut and New York and those, those are the places I've lived. So it's like, oh man, like I haven't had a good piece of pizza in eight months.
0: <laughs> well, because you work from home, one of the good things is you don't have to deal with traffic.
1: This is true. This has always been something I've been very grateful for, like the commute, the hour or two hours people lose just being in a car. I've dabbled with office jobs over the years. And, and that's the one thing that I'm like, ah. <laughs> I used to even commute in for a while from Connecticut to New York for a, a freelance job. And you know, that was an hour and a half each way and it was exhausting, you know. So especially in the in the fall months and the winter months where you like you leave the house and it's dark oh. and you come home and it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> and you know ne- you never see daylight. So I love the sunshine out here. You know, we're close to San Francisco, which is great. There's a lot of things to do. So it you know, it's California live living. It's its not bad. Now let's talk about your art and your training as an artist and as a writer. I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, um, and this was in the early 90s. So I went from 92 to 96. Uh, this was kind of a transition period for art schools, I suppose, or maybe Pratt was very much behind the times. I didn't have formal training in Photoshop. I had one illustrator course for like one semester. People just didn't use computers at that point. Around 93, 94, I started interning at Marvel Comics. So that was where I got the overall, like how to put a book together, all that training. But original training, like hand lettering and paste-ups and you know, coloring with Doc Martin, you know, watercolors on Xerox paper, and then you would have to code it. And then you would send that to printer and the separator and they would do all that. So there was a lot of traditional training. At the same time, people were starting to dabble with computer coloring and technology was starting to come in more into play. That's really where between going to Pratt, And spending four years, I started out as an intern at Marvel and then I would assist as an editor and I worked as a colorist and I did all kinds of jobs there. That's where I really got the bulk of my education. And from there, I decided I wanted to create more humor oriented books. And there's no better training than just doing it. And so I took what I had learned at Marvel and at art school and I started a small independent company and we started producing our own comics and a lot of them were awful. You know, I learned a lot, you know, just from making mistakes and doing it. So to me that's some of the best education is if you want to do something, figure out how to do it and do it. Whether you make mistakes or fail or not, you're gonna learn something and hopefully apply it to the next project you work on.
0: Well before you started making your own books and starting your own publishing, who were some of your, in your opinion, your best mentors, your best teachers, and what were some of the takeaways that you still use today?
1: At Marvel, I started off as an intern for Mike Rockwitz. He was in charge of, I guess, what you would call the Captain America office at the time. He did Captain America, Thor, Namor, um, Secret Defenders, probably Quasar, and some other ones. He's a great guy. He was honest and uh, very giving. He's one of my best friends to this day. He's a little rough around the edges, and people may take that the wrong way at times, but he gave me my first professional opportunity, uh, which led to me working in comics. I've been working with him and for him uh, ever since, and he actually co-edited Punk Taco. We have a lifelong friendship because of that. You know, One of the most valuable lessons that I learned from Mike is just treating people with respect being honest and giving your all to the work it's hard to explain it over that many years he's definitely still one of my mentors one of my best friends unfortunately at the time marvel was shortly after i started working for mike was going through what they called marvelution where they basically filed bankruptcy and they brutally fired a lot of people and mike was one of them and then he went on to wildstorm and then he started working on other Uh, publishing, forms of children's publishing and educational publishing. It's really about treating people right. And I have to say that my experience with many other editors over the years, seeing how they treat people makes me respect and value Mike Rockwitz even more because he was always honest, always giving, I won't say any names, but they'll tell you to your face that they love your work and they're going to give you work, you know, the next day. And then they ignore your calls for forever. <laughs> oh boy. Comparing those two experiences, you know, with Mike, if he said he's going to call you, he calls you. If he doesn't like your work, he will brutally tell you that you're not cut out for the job. So that's important as an artist, especially in comics where, you know, you put in so many long hours and you you bust your butt to do the best work you can. If the work isn't good enough, one, you want to be told how you can improve because you want to get a job. And you want to be treated fairly and honestly and not be jerked around. So don't jerk people. <laughs> That's one of the, the best lessons. And I also, from after Mike Rockwitz, I worked with another Mike, Mike Martz, who went on to be editor-in-chief and you know, working at uh, both Marvel and DC, and now he's editor-in-chief at Aftershock. Mm-hmm. Mike was also a great guy to work for and helped teach me how to put comic books together and That was a great experience working for him as well.
0: Well, you mentioned Punk Taco, and Punk Taco was a breakthrough for you because that one is a 2019 Ringo Award winner for Best Kids Comic or Graphic Novel, and it won a second award in 2019 as well. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, we won a Kids Comics Award, which was the first one that we won, which was really exciting because it takes place at the uh, Ann Arbor Comic Arts Festival. Kids are the ones who vote for it. There was no like, it wasn't about the industry types having to try to convince your peers of your <laughs> of how good your book mm-hmm. is. It was really just about the kids who read the books and getting selected by them and that was super exciting. And at the festival I was the first time that I had been there and I actually drove cross country with Makuna from Connecticut to Ann Arbor. It took us like sixteen hours <laughs> My son, who was seven at the time, I suppose, so it was just the two of us, and we drove cross-country. We went to the convention and the awards show, and there were people like Ben Hadkey, who does Space Girl. Uh, he was there. Uh, Judd Winnick, who does uh, Hilo. Um, These are all amazing graphic novels outside of, you know, what a lot of the comic people, like the Big Two, Marvel, and DC books. Um, these are huge books that my kids love these graphic novels. Wendy and Richard Pinney were being honored and they were there. So it was really like being surrounded by all this amazing talent was truly an amazing experience. And the actual award show took place on Father's Day and we won the award that day. And it was like the best, (laughs) the best (laughs) experience, like, you know, to be hanging out with your son and to win an award on Father's Day for a book that you created with your son, and it was all voted on by kids, that was awesome. A couple months later, I guess it was, and then you know we won the Ringo Award, which was mind-blowing. We were so excited to just be nominated. We were nominated alongside books that were published by First, Second, and, and other major publishers. And some of these books sold like 75,000 copies. Where, you know, compared to us, we're just a small family run, self-published business. And then to win that sitting at the table with across from Jerry Ordway and, and Walter and Louise Simonson were there and they were being honored. And you know so many amazingly talented people. The whole time I, I was there, I felt like I don't belong here. <laughs> being like the one independent guy like that, you know, self-publishes his book out of his house and to be surrounded by all these legendary talents and as well as big names in the business now it, it was a real amazing experience it still floors me that we were able to win the Ringo and and the Kids Comics Awards which makes it hard now. The funny thing is, once you win those awards, you're like, oh, what happens if the next one doesn't do? It? <laughs> <laughs> now what? <laughs> now uh, like, oh no! Like, so I, I it, it really, honestly, I don't know if that's ego or greed or whatever it is, but I understand how like celebrity types they get caught up in a lot of that stuff. Because if you win one, you really start to think like, if I don't do this again, does that mean it's not good or is it a failure? But then you put it into perspective: the books that we were nominated alongside are so amazing. We were huge fans of of them as well. The award doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things because the books are all great. Everybody that has achieved this ability to produce a book and to bring it to life. I mean, that alone is, you know, people talk about doing things. Someday I'm going to write a book or someday I'm going to draw a book or something. And most people never do. I'm super proud that I was able to put out a book with my son when he was 6 years old. <laughs> like to me, it's like, all right, well, we were already you know, doing something, and we were successful. To get recognized by your peers, it's just icing on the cake, and it's, it's awesome. We're very grateful for it.
0: Your son came up with this idea. How did you nurture that so that it became Punk Taco, the graphic novel? And it has a very positive message. You already talked about things like treating the other people with respect. And all of that's in this. So tell me how this was developed, nurtured into what it became, what the essence of it is.
1: Actually, I was almost done with another graphic novel that I was working on. And it was close to 200 pages. And that was my next project. And I was sitting with my son. We were talking about this name that was rattling around in my head. And he started to come up with ideas for the character and who he was and who his friends were and you know what they would do together. And I just stopped everything that I was doing on the other project, and I, I wanted to take advantage of this special time. He was still five at the time, turning six, and just really be able to you know spend time with my son and create something. Because creating comic books is, is so many long hours, and you need isolation in a lot of ways, and you know a time away from the family. And I thought that this would be a great way to work and be productive and still spend time with my son. When he started coming up with ideas for who the character was and his personality, I just let him run with it and go nuts. And there were so many ideas that were just coming out of his head. And then I would take those ideas, I would write them down, I would add to them, and we would really go back and forth you know, like a creative team at the time, he didn't fully understand like story structure. So Mm -hmm. I would have to say, well, we could, you know, do this. We only, this is what our budget will probably be. So we only have this many pages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to like start to think a story in regards to budget as well. And what you can do with the limited space you have going back and forth with him, communicating ideas and seeing what made him laugh the most and what, you know, made him think. And then taking, you know, his, kindness and his love and and bringing that into the book. And then, you know, once the artwork was complete, then we would go back and we would talk about the dialogue and I would write things and I would say, is this okay? And he would say, well, we should, you know, maybe change this. And we wanted to bring up bullying because there were things going on at school. So we were bringing a lot of real life into it and a lot of things that were and are still going on in the world. And we were trying to communicate them we wanted to break it down where kids could understand it. But we also wanted to create, or I wanted to create a book that would last beyond just the kids book. Because I remember growing up, you know, being his age and reading books that now they would tell you aren't for kids. And not not that they're graphic or anything, but like just like a, a simple Fantastic Four issue. They would say, well, that kids aren't going to relate to it because Reed Richards looks old or there's too many words, there's too many word bubbles, but having at an early age, started reading to my son old comics and long graphic novels. He had an attention span. He loves that stuff, like he loves reading old Stanley and Jack Kirby books and Steve Ditko Doctor Strange. So that inspired me and said, okay, this is okay. Like we don't have to dumb this down and only put like five words on a page. A lot of younger all ages books, they're awesome, but a lot of them are. Very simplified. And that's hard to do. So I'm not knocking it at all. That's
0: extremely
1: difficult to do. Because some people will look at Punk Taco and be like, oh, this is very wordy. What age group is this for? And really, I wrote it for my son and myself. Collectively, we wrote it together. But we wanted it to be something that, okay, well, he's enjoying creating it now at five. Even he couldn't fully read at that point. By first grade, he's reading on his own. Actually, by kindergarten, he was. Hmm. but Some kids don't. So we wanted a book that kids can grow with. So we wanted the themes to be universal and maybe their parents are still reading it to them at four or five years old, six years old, because there are some words in there that they may not even know at that age. And then they could put it down. You know, the parents could read it to them. The parents will pick up things, enjoy it. And then as the kids get older, they could pick it up and reread it again and pick up other things that they may not have noticed. That's what we were attempting. And I, I wasn't sure if it was going to work. Because, again, even though I was creating with with Kuna and, you know, my wife was there, it, it's still very much a bubble. Once it was all done, I sent it out to a lot of peers and friends to see what they thought. And I got a, a great response, which was amazing. It wasn't really until the conventions, you know, going to like New York Comic Con and Baltimore and all these great cons... And I would get people, you know, teenagers buying it, grownups buying it, kids buying it, and teachers telling me that they're using it in high school. And then some teachers telling me they're using it in elementary school. So I was like, okay, maybe we did it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we were successful. It's still hard to say. I like to let other people judge. I think we were successful with creating a book that is truly all ages. A four-year-old can pick it up and not understand what's going on, but they could enjoy the pictures and an adult can pick it up, enjoy the story and then read it to their kids. The themes are very universal. We wanted to talk about bullying and equality and being respectful, but we also wanted to create a character that he's kind of like our Captain America, where he stands up for the little guy, he doesn't want to resort to violence, but every now and then you just got (laughs) to mix it up. Mm-hmm. And so you know when when you pressure punk taco he isn't afraid to stand up and fight for what's right but only as a last resort and even then he still tries to you know make friends and work it out um and those are just things as a parent that I wanted to communicate not just with my kids but other people's kids cuz I feel like there's a lot of even children's entertainment where everything has to be action packed and violent um, but we wanted to have like our characters try to talk out their problems, be positive as much as possible.
0: As adults should, hopefully.
1: <laughs> but amazingly, it's hard. It's not easy to create something that people are going to enjoy, if especially in comics, because it is, I don't really like the word violent, but there is so much action and I guess violent drama. So it's hard to escape that because, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite and say, well, I don't enjoy it. I was reading Dark Knight when it first came. Came out mm-hmm. and I, I probably shouldn't have been reading that or Watchmen or like American Flag or <laughs> <laughs> especially, <laughs> yeah. especially, you know, 11, 12 years old. But now looking back as a parent, I'm trying to create something that is entertaining for kids and adults. So the book is available on Amazon now. I think you're sold out
0: on your site, right?
1: For the most part, yeah. Amazon has like nine copies of the first printing, and that's all I'll be able to send to them. And I have a few copies that are from like my personal collection of the first printing. But we have a second printing arriving at my doorstep sometime this month. It's supposed to arrive on the 27th, but now I just, today they told me it may arrive like the 22nd or the, or the 15th or something like that. But, yeah, the interesting story about that was when we first created Punk Taco, I had been making comics for twenty years or so, and Diamond has always distributed all my books. In this book, I wanted it to be different. Physically, I knew it was going to be different because i was I was printing in a hardcover eight by twelve format. So I was doing something different in regards to, you know, in the past, it was always regular floppy comics, but I wanted something that would last on a bookshelf at a library or kids can pick it up and reread it over and over and over. So I went to Diamond, I showed them what we had and told them what our plan was, and they flat out rejected. us. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, that was heartbreaking and extremely difficult. But we went forward anyways. And like I said, we sold out. We won. You know, these awards, we've gotten great reviews and quotes from amazingly talented people. So I was like, whatever, we're going to do it anyways. And then when Punk Taco won the Ringo and we sold out, Diamond finally decided that they would distribute the book. (laughs) So I was like, all right, great. So now we could reach more comic stores because before that we were, you know, really working into all ourselves, going to libraries and bookstores and wherever we could get to. Physically, which there's a huge part of the country that has never seen Punk Taco. So I thought this was a great opportunity. We did all the plans. I sent in an order to reprint the book and we added like the medallions on the cover for the Ringo Award and the Kids Comics Award. People always need some reason to pick up a book and having an award on the cover is always a good thing. So we redid the cover. And the book was solicited March previews. And that's when the virus hit Mm. (laughs) a week or two weeks. And we were supposed to get the numbers of how many books were ordered. And that's when Diamond shut down. And for a week and a half, my rep kept telling me, oh, don't worry. Your book is going out of the Olive Branch warehouse and we're not shutting that down. We're still going to do some distribution. It may not come out on the 27th like it was supposed to, but we'll get it to the stores. So I was excited about that. And I kept pushing it to the stores and they were very receptive, uh, going online, trying to communicate with people. And then all of a sudden I wasn't hearing from my rep and I contacted his supervisor and his supervisor was like, no, we're not doing this right now. (laughs) So I literally put in an order for 2000 copies of Punk Taco based on just an estimate of what we thought that we would sell through diamond. And I wouldn't have done that, obviously, if I knew there was going to be a pandemic. But even if I didn't have distribution, I probably wouldn't have made that investment. So now I have 2000 books coming to my doorstep. (laughs) (laughs) Because now I'm not even hearing back from diamond at all, even though like I read articles that they're going to start distributing books sometime this month. And so now I don't even know if taco will ever be distributed by them i don't know what's going on i've been completely like <laughs> ghosted as far as communication goes we're back to being 100 percent independent with no distribution again
0: hopefully they'll resolicit it in a future catalog
1: i hope so and that's been my main question over the past couple of weeks and i have not even gotten a response and this goes back to communication you know one of the things i learned at marvel from my mentors and and nowadays it's even easier it takes a second to email somebody back (laughs) yeah and say well you know yeah we're gonna we'll solicit it in a couple months but i haven't gotten anything so i i don't know what's going on i'm sure they're overwhelmed and you know doing what they do but it would be nice to get some type of (laughs) communication
0: it is a pet peeve of mine that like you said it is so easy to send back an email and i i don't know what the other person's going through I mean, they could be sick. Right. They could have a family issue. They could have a hundred emails a day. But absolutely, yes or no? I don't know. Maybe something to me, it's like respect,
1: especially over a month. Like if you don't yeah. hear back, like if I could see if it, you don't get back in a couple of days, I've certainly you know fallen victim to you know family life. And responsibilities and so forth i never not email someone back over a week <laughs> it's like come on
0: yeah sometimes it'll be a week maybe two and it's like, oh i'm sorry i lost it and that's cool and sometimes that, i'll that send happens. a follow-up and they're like oh sorry but when i send the follow-up and i hear nothing and then i'm like well, I one <laughs> more time and i hear nothing i'm like okay
1: yeah what yeah, three times is definitely like you just gotta say that's three strikes yeah, yeah. I, I could take a hint
0: <laughs> you are going to work on a second volume, though, right, of Punk Taco?
1: Yes. The second volume is all drawn. It is being inked and colored at the same time now. And it has increased. first one was roughly 64 pages. This one is now 96. And it may be actually longer because in the first book, Makana had a short story that he did in the back of the book, and he did all the coloring and crayon and everything, so we're going to do something like that, but he hasn't finished his part for that yet, though. so I don't know how many pages it will be, but the, the main story is 96 pages, so it's a lot bigger, and I didn't expect that to happen, but as we were writing it, there were a lot of ideas that McKenna had come up with that he wanted to have in the first volume that I just didn't get to fit in, so we included a lot of that in this one and a whole lot of other wackiness as well, and we're actually... 11 pages into Penciling Volume 3. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was like a, a brief period where I was like, I, I had to know what was happening, like, because we knew we were going to do at least three volumes. So we actually got a, kind of like a little jump start on writing it and drawing it, while at the same time I've been inking uh, Volume 2 and working with my colorist to color it as well. We had a successful Kickstarter run. Wasn't huge, but we met our goal for printing. Punk Taco uh, Volume 2 is still available for pre-order, um, as well as the uh, pre-orders for the second print in volume one. And those will also be available through Amazon eventually, but right now just through our website.
0: And before we leave Punk Taco, who else is working on the book with you? Who's part of the team?
1: Another artist that I work with who helps, his name is Gabrielle Mayorga. He's super awesome. And then my colorist, Lea Jean Bedellas, she works on the coloring and she's fantastic. And then Makuna helps with the writing. He helps with the artwork as well. And then we have a whole group of people that help out with editing because it doesn't matter how many times I look over something, there will always be a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always good to have fresh eyes looking over everything. So like Mike Rockwitz, like I had mentioned, my old editor at Marvel Comics, he helps edit it. Uh, My wife uh, helps edit it. And another friend, uh, Roy Paczynski, who's an editor, helps edit it. So we have a, a good group of people that all contribute to it. And I'm very honored to be working with this team.
0: All right. Well, we'll look for the second printing of number one in the second volume, and hopefully Diamond will come through for you and help with the distribution because you got a lot of books coming. <laughs> I hope so. So if you have some time, we'll uh, have some other fun questions when we kick back with the creator. No, absolutely. Yeah. Just fun questions. Learn more about you as a person. So, Adam, what do you like to do for recreation?
1: <laughs> I'm not the easiest person to relax. I really enjoy working and creating. So even when I am going out, like I'm always thinking about ideas. So it's, it's very hard for me to relax, but I like spending time with my kids. What I love to do is I love to go to art galleries and look at original artwork. One of the things that I used to love to do back East is go into New York and go to like the society of illustrators whenever they had, you know, new exhibits, or we would go to the Norman Rockwell museum. So being out here in San Francisco, we became members of the uh, cartoon art museum they have a lot of great comic book exhibits. I really enjoy doing that. I could just sit in or stand and look at artwork from other artists for hours and be happy. It's harder to do with kids <laughs> because they don't have that same attention span. But for me, that's one thing that I love to do. And hanging out with my kids, we build a lot of Lego. That's one thing that I love to do, except for putting the stickers on Legos that I hate. Um <laughs> <laughs> especially being like a you know a mint condition comic book you know weirdo like Mm -hmm. i have to get the sticker just right and Mm -hmm. it freaks me out if it's if it's off just a little bit (laughs) (laughs) oh i mean i don't know like if most people can relate to that but i love building the lego and then watching my kids you know build them on their own it's it's always a thrill i love the garden So that's another thing that relaxes me, planting things and watching them grow and growing our own food. I just love it. That's something that I want to do more of here out in California. I actually built some garden beds recently, and I'm growing tomatoes and peppers and different greens, lettuces, spinach, and cabbage and such. That always relaxes me.
0: You know, I can relate to the sticker thing because when my son got (laughs) something in a Happy Meal, it's like a race car, and you had to put the stickers on it. I don't know why they did that. But I'm like, no, that's not right. No, no, that belongs over here. Oh, oh, it's crooked. And I'm just like, no, oh, now it's all messed up. And I'm just, he doesn't care. He's three, but I'm like, that's not right. Right. So I know what you mean.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, the kids don't care at all. I know. It's, it's a total, it's nice. like, you know, parent OCD thing or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. As far as, like, talking about comics, my oldest one especially, what he's always been very good with, like, handling comics and books and stuff. So that's another thing where you're like, ah, you're like if you give a book, like a nice graphic novel to a kid, they could easily destroy it. Oh, yeah. I'm very grateful that I have kids that are, are uh, very careful with books and treat them with respect. And that's been awesome. So I'm we love to read together too. Did you teach
0: them how to handle the books properly?
1: I did. I don't know if, It's because they listen to me, or if it's just, you know, it may just be in their DNA at this point because I'm neurotic about it. Uh But uh, because, you know, (laughs) other things they don't listen to me at all. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm very grateful for that because we have friends, and like, I see what their kids do to books, and I'm like, oh. We love to read together, and that may that may be part of it, too. Yeah. Like, my, you know, Makuna will devour, like, a huge graphic novel in a day, and, and his younger brother is becoming that way as well. So a lot of relaxing recreation time is spent, you know, reading books together. How
0: old are the boys now? Uh, eight and four. Okay. Mine are eight and three. Oh, cool. So it's pretty much the same thing. My oldest son reads a lot, and the younger one's starting to do it, too, and they're pretty good with their books.
1: Is your youngest more aggressive and active?
0: Uh... You know, they're both pretty aggressive and active. I thought that the youngest would be the mellowest one, but he's starting to get more aggressive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I find uh, between ours and other, you know, friends who have kids the same age, like the youngest always seems to be way more (laughs) energetic. So I wasn't sure if that was the same case for you.
0: I would say so because he has a hard time getting to sleep. Like he will just flop around in bed and keep rolling and Hmm. kicking and my other son would eventually settle down and fall asleep on his own as he got older but he would still do it but he's still very active the biggest difference is the oldest one is more of a slob (laughs) frankly he's just (laughs) messy with his room and the other one he wants like his top button buttoned on his button shirt if he gets something spilled on him he wants to clean up clean up so he's very particular about how things are
1: interesting yeah (laughs) we have the opposite the first one is the the neat one and the second one is the messier (laughs) one yeah
0: but they're always opposites in some way, you know?
1: They're all different. Every yeah. kid. Like, even like, you know, I'm sure you went through this or, or go through this. Their teeth are coming in. and then mm-hmm. But, you know, like I, I have another friend whose kid's teeth come in differently. You have to learn at some point as a parent, you're just like, they're all different. They're going to grow different. They're going to think different. They're going to develop differently. You have to accept it. You can't really compare your kids even no. to each other or to other kids especially.
0: Oh, no. No, no. Just got to kind of go with it. The, uh, they don't follow the instructions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> Even they don't follow growth charts, there's all these things that, like, they're supposed to be a part of, like, to help you as a parent. And you're like, "Eh, it doesn't mean anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, thinking back to birthdays, for you, which was your favorite birthday and why?
1: Wow. I don't know. That's a tough one. My memory is shot (laughs) these Becoming (laughs) a parent, like, I I don't remember anything about myself. I remember, like, (laughs) my kids' birthdays. It's kind of sad, I guess. I don't know if I have a memorable birthday. I guess... Turning 21 in New York City was probably, you know, a memorable birthday, not because of the age and what you can do at 21. It was just, I just loved living in New York at that age in my early 20s. And I just remember spending a lot of time with friends for birthdays and going out to dinners, and going to a lot of concerts. But yeah, birthday parties for me, even as a kid, I, I don't really recall, like, up until we moved to California, we would have not like these parties that you would see on TV but we would always have a huge group of kids over for especially for Macuna for his birthdays cuz he had a huge group of friends but I don't recall ever having that type of birthday as a kid where like there were 20 30 kids over mm-hmm. <laughs> but we always you know tried to make his birthday special and have themes and I that's probably like a modern parent Thing because I don't remember parents doing that for kids. I remember like going to a friend's birthday party at McDonald's, like they had those Playland McDonald's, and and I remember his birthday more than any of my birthdays because <laughs> I thought that was the greatest thing to be like a McDonald's Playland and like you climb into like Mayor McCheese's head and there was like a slide. Like I I, I still remember that birthday yeah. party and mm-hmm. I remember the G.I. Joes that he got, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't remember my birthday.
0: Wait, now, you mentioned going to concerts, 21 and around that age. What concerts did you go to? Which ones were your favorites?
1: I am a hip-hop head, so mm-hmm. I would see Public Enemy and KRS and Big Daddy Kane, Biz Markie. I've seen a lot of concerts. <laughs> so my first concert was actually Iron Maiden. Uh, and that was when I was in the seventh grade. Oh wow! Um, and I saw it at the New Haven Coliseum, which is no longer there. That was a Somewhere in Time tour, which loved metal music as well. To me, like my favorite concerts have always been hip hop concerts at small venues where you're like
0: real intimate
1: and right next to the stage. Any live music I love to see. I'm not too picky when it comes to that, but I've seen a lot of great hip hop concerts over the years, especially living in New York City in the early '90s and. 2000s. And you've
0: translated that love into your work, too, because did you do a graphic novel, a series on Public
1: Enemy? I did, yes. Over the years, besides being a comic book illustrator and writer, I also worked in the music industry. I am an MC. I've recorded numerous albums. I was actually signed to Chuck D's record label for several years, and I toured with Public Enemy and several other artists, recorded with like a who's who of legendary uh, rappers and MCs over the years. Uh, But it's always something I've done just because I love it. And another way to express myself and just be creative. So I never really took it all that far. When I first met Chuck and I met Chuck through his public enemy website and he had a forum and a message board. And that's how he eventually signed a bunch of us to his record label and took us out on tour with him. And one day, I was talking to him because while I was interning at Marvel, they had a music division and they were going to do a public enemy comic. And there may have been like a kiss comic or something. I forget what other bands that they had signed. And all this artwork was produced and the books were pretty much done. And then that whole chapter 11, the bankruptcy thing happened. And I think that kind of had an effect on it. They did release a KRS comic called Break the Chains. Uh, which Kyle Baker drew, I believe. I don't think that did so well, so that may have also had some factor in it. So anyways, I was talking to Chuck D from Public Enemy. You know, he knew that I made comics and I knew that he was a comic book fan and I had told him that I had actually, you know, had some dealings with the Public Enemy comic book when it was at Marvel and that I had an idea of how we could do it better and be more successful at it. And he was like, let's do it. (laughs) So we just came up with a story and he just basically let me run with it. I released it through my American Mule label at the time and put it out. We did 5 issues plus a 0 issue and then we collected it as a trade paperback. And it did well. It was a little ahead of its time in the sense that this was before like Marvel did all those hip hop covers. Yeah. And everybody started doing that type of stuff. And I actually took the book to Marvel before we decided to publish it ourselves. I brought them the pitch and I spoke to Joe Casada and some other lawyers and basically they were going to do it, but they, I forget how it worked. They basically wanted me to pay them to produce the book. Oh, that's <laughs> I, a bad I was sign. like, yeah, that, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I could just do it myself. So I don't, I don't need more hands in this pot, especially yeah. when dealing with musicians, you know, public enemy is a big group and there's a lot of different managers and things that, you know, you had to juggle. I didn't want, to have to worry about Marvel as well and paying them to do, I don't know what they would do. It would have been cool to have been a Marvel comic and to have been back in the company because I, you know, I love Marvel or the idea of Marvel at least. So that would have been cool, but it, it didn't work out. So I published it you know, and we got it out there and it was pretty successful. Um, it was just another way to combine my love of hip hop music and comic books. And from there we actually created the hip hop and comics panel which started out at CMJ in New York, and then we brought it to New York Comic-Con, and now it's been all over the country and moderated by a friend of mine. So that's been a great way to bring the hip-hop world and comics even closer together. Every time they do the panel, whether it's at San Diego or New York Comic-Con or wherever, it's always like a packed house, which is really awesome. So we always have a good conversation and, and bring in different artists and musicians and have a great conversation.
0: Now, I'm wondering, when you were growing up, on your bedroom wall? Mm-hmm. Were they rap posters? Were they comic posters? What did you have on the wall?
1: They were both. Actually, it's funny because I still have almost all of my posters from as a kid when it comes to like movies and comics. So just this weekend, I'm trying to clear out a room in the house and I had all these poster tubes and I took out all the posters and I tried to consolidate as many as possible and i ended up getting it down to three different giant fedex poster tubes but i have original star wars posters forrest vallejo drew from like mm. 1982 oh, coca-cola wow. i don't know if you ever remember that one yeah oh man <laughs> um all those i have like the george Perez team titans and uh, rick leonardi dark phoenix posters and wolverine poster john burn x so i still have all these posters and you could tell the ones that i hung up because they all have pinholes in yeah them, um and you know they're a little uh-huh. little bent um so yeah i had a you know tons of comics once middle school hits i think that's when i started getting into music magazines and you know you tear out the pictures of your favorite artists and hang that up and i actually had a lot of that still until we moved from connecticut to california because i knew that there was nowhere i was going to hang like an iced tea poster with him and his wife in my house (laughs) but but i still had like this you know pretty graphic poster of like iced tea and his wife in a bikini (laughs) and so i had that and posters of like public enemy and KRS, who I loved, and a lot of other people. So those had dated themselves, and I knew like at this point in my life, there was nowhere, even if I had a space for a recording studio, that I would have room to hang those things. So I just threw all that away. But all the comic posters I kept, because that's something you could pass down or sell if need be. But uh, yeah, I had a pretty big mix of those type of posters, as well as various artists, just their work. It was... Kind of an obsession to collect posters for a while, especially comic book posters. For many years, there were so many great ones, when they, especially when they would do something original. Like, I found, like, a great one that I forgot about with John Byrne. It was, like, the X-Men fighting a sentinel. And it's not like it's a comic book picture. You know, 100% he created it, you know, I think just for this poster. Things like that. I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot I had this. <laughs> this is cool. Good for you for so. keeping them. Yeah, that's the neurotic collector, right? I mean, like, saving everything.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, thinking about books, if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could have one book or a set for pleasure reading, a comic book, a graphic novel, a regular prose novel, what's the one book you want to have with you? Something that you've always wanted to read or something that you like to read repeatedly?
1: One book that I've read a million times, Daredevil Reborn by David Mazzucchelli and Mm -hmm. Frank Miller. I could look at that book, the collection of that. I've been reading it for, what, 30 years now? Yeah, (laughs) that's a good one. So, and I still love it. Like, so that is something something—not a feel good. I don't know, like, if I'd want to have just that. But yeah, that book I love. I mean, the, the artwork to me is just breathtaking. If I thought about it, like, maybe... I really enjoyed the Invincible series. Mm-hmm. I'm just like looking at a bookshelf in front of me right now, and I have book one through 12 of those oversized editions that they have. I loved the book from the start to the finish. I thought what Kirkman did was awesome. So that's something to consider. But the David Mazzucchelli and Frank Miller Daredevil, as well as year one, the Batman mm-hmm. uh, that they did together, probably one of those. But if my kids were stuck with me, I may pick something a little lighter. A collection of did go Doctor Strange or one of those amazing Spider Man omnibuses. As far as prose go, like I've read Grapes of Wrath a hundred times. So <laughs> I love that book for some reason. And it's still relevant today, I feel, even more so today, I guess. But not necessarily a feel-good book, but an important book.
0: You know, I've asked this question of many people on the show, and I've been asked the question. I know I've given different answers and I've thought about this and looking at my shelf. I found the perfect answer for me now, and I'd never given this answer before. If they're related, and they can be volumes, I would pick Origins of Marvel Comics and Son of Origins. That covers everything. Hmm. <laughs> just hit me. Yeah, on. that's what I would probably take.
1: I don't have it yet, but that I guess they just released like an omnibus of the Handbook to the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I have all the originals when they came out with the big wraparound covers that you could connect if you wanted to tear them apart. <laughs> But like that time period of history with the Marvel comics and the characters, that's my childhood. I don't really know a lot of the more current storylines and the characters and what is canon and what's not or whatever. But I love rereading those uh, with, with my son, the old ones. Because then you could remember storylines as well. They were so detailed in their description of of the history of everything that happened with the characters. Rereading that over and over brings back memories of the other books that I've read. So it's almost like a trigger book. It's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You get to remember the stories as well as learn about the characters and everything.
0: If someone were to make an action figure of you. What would be your accessory or accessories? And that would say something about you, who you are, your accessory. So I I hope it's not like pencil or something like that. (laughs) What what would you like it to be? I can't be a pencil.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. A lot lot of artists say that. Pencil. Uh, (laughs) Pencil. Well, I would I would definitely have a microphone to bring out the MC side. All right. All and right. then, you know, obviously, I'd have the two alter egos. So you'd have the rapper Adam and then maybe the artist Adam. And you could have multiple accessories for both as well as me with a tired face with glasses on for drawing and then me with a hat on when I'm rapping or something. <laughs> you know, like uh, other accessories, some garden tools. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, maybe some cooking uh, utensils because uh, I do a lot of cooking. So. Oh, good for you! Uh, I do a lot of beating. <laughs> Don't do that much cooking. <laughs> I always joke for a long time I was the skinniest fat man because I could eat and eat and eat. Of course, now you know you get older and the, the belly starts getting no, bigger. Oh, you can't get away with bigger. it! No, no, no. But the problem is but the problem. I'm, it's not really a problem, but you know, having been skinny for so long. The only thing that seems to really get bigger is the gut. That actually really hurts the back. I see other yes. guys grow like big, big proportionately all around, and they seem to have less problems. Mm-hmm. Like The food gets distributed equally, whereas me, it's just going to my gut. I'm like, oh, man. You are not alone.
0: <laughs> Many of us suffer with that. <laughs> yeah. But it's important to hydrate. And speaking of hydration, is. what is your beverage of choice for pleasure, for relaxing?
1: I... I love lemonade. Okay, <laughs> I'm not an alcohol drinker. I I will occasionally have wine if my wife's having some, or you know, we're having friends over or something. But for the most part, I I never drink anything like that. I don't drink coffee, um, not for any other reason than I just don't like the taste or smell. And alcohol tends to make me sleepy. It doesn't make me more talkative or or social. It just makes me want to go to sleep. And um, you work. Like <laughs> And I do, yes. And I also have really bad tinnitus. So I'm told that alcohol agitates that as well. So I try uh-huh. to stay away okay. um, usually. So I love good lemonade and I love a good fruit smoothie. So, you know, mm-hmm. the sweeter drinks, I suppose. Uh, we make a lot of fresh smoothies here with fresh fruit and vegetables. Oh, very nice. Like very so, nice. Yes, that's something that uh, I definitely enjoy. Beyond that, yeah, I don't drink sodas or anything. In a very rare occasion, I'll have a root beer if I was like at a certain pizza place back in Connecticut. Mm. But yeah, I usually stay away from the sodas and stuff like that. But lots of water.
0: My final question. Now, we know what you enjoy. What brings you joy?
1: My children and seeing them grow, watching them turn into good people, witnessing little acts of kindness that we don't have to prompt, or seeing them achieve something that we didn't have to like oversee, or, you know, maybe we've guided them previously, but seeing it click for the first time while they're on their own. Yeah. Little stuff like that, whether it's like figuring out how to do an age, you know, eight to 14, like, you know, my four year old doing an eight to 14 year old Lego and like doing it all on his own. And you're just watching that. And it's like, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) Or, you know, like today, like, for school, McKenna had to do five sentences on his favorite book, and he did a seven-page book report. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> <It's> like, wow. <laughs> that, and I kept telling him, "You don't have to write that much. Like, you know this, right?" And but he read the Kanan graphic novel based on I don't know if you're familiar with the Star Wars character from Rebels. Marvel did a limited series graphic novel based on the character, and mm-hmm. we recently watched all the like the Clone Wars and Rebel series on TV. And so he really liked the character, so he read the graphic novel, and then he wrote a whole book report on it, which is awesome. He must have really liked it, to write that much. Yeah. Beyond Family, I love looking at original artwork and studying other people's artwork. It brings me a lot of joy. And seeing other people successful, seeing friends that I grew up with and peers and achieve success, things like that bring me a lot of joy. There's a lot, even just simple things. Waking up, <laughs> <laughs> I was just sick for a few weeks, and so waking up wasn't always enjoyable. But knowing that I have friends that have passed on at, at a young age puts things into perspective. And it's yes. like, oh, yes. I, I woke up today. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I may get grumpy during the day, but, you know, I got to think about it and be like, yeah, it's a good thing. I live to fight another day. I would put that in the win column, yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed speaking with you and listening to you and you're always welcome back. And I'd like to have you back when volume two's ready to go so we can get the word out.
1: I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and thank you to everybody for listening and putting up with me babbling, which I tend to do because I work alone and I only talk to four and eight year olds. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I understand. I understand. When you hey. talk to an adult it's just like blah 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 blah. <laughs> I don't even know how to form complete sentences anymore <laughs> sometimes, because... <laughs> uh, thanks so much. You know what I mean. Yes, I do. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely do this again soon.
0: Okay, everyone, and since my conversation with Adam Molenta, he has received the second printing of Punk Taco. He's been hauling in 102 boxes, so they are now available so you can get your copies of Punk Taco. I will put a link to his site in the show notes, so you can click on that to order your copy for yourself, for your children, for nieces, for nephews, or maybe as a donation to your local library or your local elementary school. Coming over the next few weeks, I have two interviews already recorded. I'll be discussing with two writers their work for a publishing company that has not been represented yet on this program, and I want to thank George Hanna of Meanwhile at the Podcast for suggesting I reach out to these individuals and have them on the show. So thank you so much, George. And please check out George's podcast, Meanwhile at the Podcast. It's kind of a morning drive pop culture show. Please check that out. And also check out Eric at the Longbox Review, both George and Eric did interview me on Meanwhile at the Podcast, episodes number 52 and number 53. Yes, it's a two-parter. I rambled a lot, so thank you, gentlemen, for putting up with me for two episodes, and listen next week and find out which publisher and which guests George suggested be on my show. Don't miss it. You know, I thought I have a lot of content here. Maybe I should start releasing my podcast once a week for a little while. And then I thought, you know, 2020 has been a bear. There's been so much going on with COVID, with civil unrest, over injustice and rioting. We're all just needing to take a break and catch our breath. Maybe we just need some extra time to focus on these things to make real change now. So I'll be sticking to the schedule of every other week on Thursdays. You can communicate with me through email, creatortalks at gmail.com. That's creatortalks at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at pod. That's at pod. Please remain vigilant. Take care of yourselves. Continue to follow the proper protocols to avoid spreading the coronavirus. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.